going to start our series in 1 Kings, which is going to be four Sundays on uh, the life of Solomon. Um, <clears throat> I remember sitting in the final movie of Star Wars. Well, I don't even remember what the last one was called. I lost track. What was it? Skywalker something? Rise of Skywalker, thank you. I actually appreciate that help. We could have sat here in silence for a long time. I remember sitting in that movie and it dawned on me that all nine movies are basically a small family squabble that takes place over, you know, across the whole universe and results in a lot of deaths. I mean, basically you have, you have Darth Vader and his offspring, right? That's the whole, you can stay home and see that same movie play out in your own homes. <clears throat> As I was reading uh, in prep for today, um, I was actually struck with the same thought. Um, we've, we've actually covered some ground over the last few months, uh, even during my time away. Uh, several of you, our teachers, covered some ground. Really, really, we're still in a fairly uh, narrow window that involves a family, or maybe two families. Um, and yet, uh, there's stories of grave consequence, national consequence, uh, cultural consequence. Um, so I want to start out this way this morning, um, if you guys are ready to dive in. You ready to dive in? Yeah. yeah? I actually don't feel 100%. Does anyone else like feel like you've got this like under the surface thing that won't go away for a while? Yeah, a few of you. Man, <clears throat> Lord, save us all. Uh, I've entitled my teaching. Go ahead and advance that, uh, Scott. The story ends poorly. <laughs> uh, this is sort of a spoiler alert, but the story, uh, this story ends poorly. Um, really, the only assurance I can offer you this morning is that my sermon won't end poorly, okay? However, I should warn you right now, Scott, this feels right. Uh, our sound system has already shut off a couple of times this morning, so we may not even get to the end of the story. The story that I'm going to tell you this morning, in brief, has all of the right ingredients to be an amazing success story. And actually, depending on who told you this story, they may even tell it as a success story. But it's not. In fact, they might not just tell it as a success story, they may tell this story as an incredible, historical, unbelievable success story. But the version of the story that we have, that I'm going to tell, and we're actually going to spend a few weeks unpacking some of the layers, is the version that is told from God's perspective. And from God's perspective, this story ends poorly. The worst part about this story ending tragically 
is that it starts out so well. Did anyone read the Little House on the Prairie books when they were growing up? Did someone just say amen? <laughs> that was a great response. Hallelujah. You guys remember House on the Prairie? Come on, show of hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my mom. Oh, wow, everyone. Okay, good. My mom, my mom read those to us as we were growing up. And I didn't like the later books. I remember as a child, you know, the early books are the adventures where they, you know, they're out in the wilderness and where is it? North Dakota or somewhere? Just playing and surviving. And then they grow up and, you know, the sister goes blind and it just gets very real. And I remember as a nine-year-old thinking, okay, I'm done. Let's, let's stop. Let's stop with the happy beginning and not, not continue on. So here's the situation. Let me set this up for you. The story ends poorly. It starts out so well. Imagine this. Imagine that you, in whatever endeavor, whatever dream you have, imagine this scenario, that you were picked for an incredible and singular opportunity. And I don't mean, and I don't mean out of a small group. I mean out of everyone else on the face of the earth, you were picked as the singular candidate for an incredible opportunity. Imagine that then you were given the power, the power was invested in you to eliminate all opposition to you pursuing that opportunity. And then imagine that you were granted the capacity to select for yourself out of anyone you wanted a legit spiritual counselor, someone who had the capacity to advise you as uh, in your walk with the Lord, anyone that you wanted, your personal counselor. Now add to that, what if in pursuing that opportunity, you were offered a partnership with an absolute powerhouse and then, and then, God adds to this opportunity, this unique opportunity, this singular opportunity. God adds to that an investment into you of supernatural capacity to pursue this opportunity. Not only that, but a supernatural wealth-building capacity. So not just a supernatural capacity to do the thing that you get to do, but a supernatural capacity to build wealth along the way and, as a bonus, a supernatural likability. Can you imagine being likable? I'm just kidding. <laughs> really has all the ingredients for a great story, you know? Number one, the story ends poorly. Number two, my sermon won't, so we're good. The story of Solomon begins like this, and I, it's uh, the story of Solomon, if you take the first Kings version, really the setup and story is only 11 chapters. Because we're gonna spend a couple of weeks on it, I would really encourage you after this morning to sit down and then lay out a schedule to read through the story carefully. Uh, the Holy Spirit will actually add to your insight 
um, and add to your growth as you engage the story uh, outside of Sunday morning. But let me, just from the first couple of chapters, let me give you the setup, the story of Solomon. First of all, Solomon was handpicked by his father David to assume a throne that was not meant to be his. Tradition was is that the oldest son would inherit the throne of the father, and Solomon was not the oldest son. He was actually wasn't even close. And yet David had decided that Solomon would be the one to take over the kingdom. Solomon was handpicked by his father to take the reins, king, the kingdom of Israel. Not only was Solomon handpicked by his father to assume the throne throne that he didn't rightfully earn or deserve, but David actually set Solomon up to eliminate potential opposition. So you remember that wonderful teaching Matt McCarter did a couple of weeks ago where David is being antagonized by a couple of different people and he decides to leave it in God's hands? On his deathbed, he said to Solomon, hey, make sure you kill those guys. Seems like a little bit cheating, you know? But he recognized that these men presented a threat. So Joab, Solomon takes out Joab. Shammai, the guy that cursed David. Remember, David actually said, maybe his curse is legitimate. So leave him be. Curse wasn't legitimate. God had not rejected David. Solomon took out Shammai. Adonijah, the older brother who wanted to be king, who tried to place himself as king, and then once he realized he wasn't going to, to be given the opportunity to be king, tries to come in sort of under the radar to become king, and Solomon gets rid of him. Solomon then dismisses the priest, Abiathar. This is the part I hadn't, I don't know if I picked this up before, but Abiathar was the last living descendant of Eli. Do you remember the story of Eli that we covered? He was a priest who had rejected the will of God and allowed corruption in the priestly office. Abiathar is his last living descendant, and Solomon moves him out of the priesthood and appoints Zadok. I want a priest that I can trust. I want someone who, who can lead me to the Lord with wisdom and integrity. Then, then, Solomon married the daughter of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. That'd be like me marrying Putin's daughter. only difference is I bring nothing to the table. (laughs) This king of Israel, this growing, flourishing nation, this, this nation on the rise is immediately aligned with the, the, the largest sort of and longest standing political, cultural powerhouse of the day in the nation of Egypt. Now, some of you are jumping ahead And you're saying to yourself in your own mind, wait, wasn't that a problem? Hey, cool your jets, we'll get there, okay? I'm just setting up the story. And then 
Solomon goes to a place called Gibeon. He offers sacrifice to the Lord on the altar, the original altar that was built in the wilderness in front of the tabernacle, which had been set up in Gibeon. It says he offered a thousand sacrifices to God and God showed up in a dream. And many of you know the story. God said, what do you want from me? That's it. Give me a second. He requested wisdom, and God said, because I like that request, because that was a good request, not only am I going to give you wisdom to lead these people, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you supernatural financial capacity. You're going to build wealth in a way that won't make sense, and I'm going to give you honor with the people. I'm going to make everyone respect you and like you. 1 Kings 3, in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, ask what you wish me to give to you. And Solomon said, you have shown great faithfulness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth, righteousness, and uprightness of heart towards you. And you have reserved for him this great faithfulness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And now, Lord my God, you made your servant king in place of my father David. And yet I am like a little boy. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is capable of judging this great people of yours. And now it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon asked this thing, and God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself a long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the lives of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. That's a great conversation. And the way the story of Solomon ends, an enemy crept in and laid waste to his life, to his household, and to his nation, the people of Israel. crazy part to me on the one hand I you want to go ah on the other hand you go I can see that it's that Solomon was not blind to the advancement of this enemy and yet Solomon somehow believed he would be okay, that he would overpower this enemy, outsmart this enemy, defeat this enemy. But he didn't. He was defeated. I know I said this already, 
the story ends poorly. He was defeated by the same enemy that you and I face. The only enemy that you and I face. Solomon was defeated. His life laid to waste. His kingdom brought to its knees by sin. Which was the only thing that God warned Solomon about in the dream. The last statement from the Lord in verse 14. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. If you walk in my ways. We're going to spend a few weeks. We're going to look at Solomon's life. We're going to do what the scripture tells us to do and look at his life in order to learn from his life. As we were discussing this series, I think you're going to find that there are some things that are really seem really timely and relevant to where we're at culturally. We're going to unpack those things. But for now, you need to know this. The story of Solomon ends poorly because Solomon was no match for sin. Despite the fact that he had been handpicked for an incredible and singular opportunity, despite the fact that he had been given the power to eliminate the opposition, despite the fact that he had been granted the opportunity to select his own spiritual counsel, despite being offered a partnership with an absolute powerhouse, and despite being given supernaturally or supernatural capacity from God, supernatural wealth building, supernatural likability, Solomon was defeated by sin. And so here's my question for you today. Do you have the same stacked deck that Solomon was playing with? I don't. Solomon had a lot more going on than I do. If Solomon did not, in the end, defeat sin, you can't either. Now remember I told you the story ends poorly, but my sermon will not. Some of you are trying to manage sin by keeping it under wraps, under control, under your power. You've let it exist with, with the deception that you can, you can keep it under the surface. You cannot, you will not win. And some of you are trying to manage your sin by working on it, by wrestling with it, by being focused on it, focused on defeating it. You cannot. Defeat is inevitable. Some of you can smell defeat in the air in your own life. In fact, some of you have just reconciled that you will not, you cannot, you never will overcome 
Every time I install a towel bar in my house, I look at that little towel bar and I think, it's not gonna last. And the more fasteners I put on that thing, the more sheetrock's gonna get ripped out of the wall. I install a a towel bar with just complete and abject hopelessness. It's gonna get destroyed. And now my sermon is gonna get good. Are you ready? You might wanna hold on to something. I'm not Bill Pagaran, but this is important. There is only one name in heaven and on earth that has power over sin. And his power is absolute. There is only one name in heaven and on earth that has authority over your sin and mine, the sin that is public and the sin that is not, the sin that is episodic and the sin that has been rooted in your subconscious since before you even understood what sin was. You cannot defeat sin, but Jesus already did. once and for all on the cross. You are no match for sin. Only Jesus has power over sin. Not just the sin that is behind you, but the sin that is right now before you and the sin that is yet to come. The only hope we have in this life is in the name of Jesus. And even if you were to make it your life's goal to exert every resource that you have against the power of sin, you would come up short. Acts 4.11, he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among mankind by which we must be saved. Your righteousness doesn't bring you to God. God brings you to his righteousness. 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25, he himself brought our sins in his body up on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you were healed, for you were continually strained like sheep and now have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Jesus did not just deal with the penalty of sin, but has overthrown the power of sin and will one day forever rid us of the presence of sin. My invitation and the word of God's command is that you would make it your life's ambition, the goal of your existence, towards which you exert every resource you have towards knowing Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. And he will bring victory over sin in your life. The greatest lie that sin ever told is this, you got this. You don't. 
And to the degree that you think you do, the story ends poorly. But Jesus already got this. He has this. He secures this for us. And you have him. In fact, the name of Jesus is so powerful that even if you've never been given any special opportunities, even if you have no power to eliminate opposition, in fact, it seems like opposition multiplies in your life, even if you have lame spiritual counsel, even if you've never been granted partnership with anyone useful and you feel like you have no supernatural capacity, no material blessing, and you're not particularly likable, If you have Jesus, sin doesn't stand a chance. If you have Jesus, your story ends well. I'm actually, I want to put a little plug in for this now. I'm starting a Tuesday training. Uh, not, it was actually scheduled to start this Tuesday. We'll get a sign-up online tomorrow, uh, but I'm going to bump it a week, so not this coming Tuesday, but the following Tuesday. I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but I'm going to be walking through some things that I'm learning just in my own relationship with Christ, uh, things that I'm learning about just walking with the Lord, uh, towards the Lord, growing in, in that relationship, knowing Him. Um, if, you wanna, if you wanna spend a few weeks, I think we're going to do five or six weeks and, and, and go through that together with me, I would invite you. But I want you to know that this will be a course where if you sign up, you're going to be sent home with work to do. Uh, so, and, and I, that's not like a test. If you're really spiritual, you'll say yes. Uh, you're going to be sent home with assignments. And so if you, if you sign up, just know that you're, you're going to be taking on some additional work outside of the class. But here's my invitation to you this morning. Chris, you guys can, you and Felicia can go ahead and come up. This is my invitation to you on an individual level. Just cling to Jesus. For those of you this morning sitting here who just feel despairing, the despair you feel stemming from the sin that you see is not misguided. That's a legitimate conclusion apart from a proper understanding of the power of knowing God through His Spirit, Jesus Christ. Cling to Jesus. Press into Jesus. Say yes to Jesus. Walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And I want to extend that invitation to those of you who are going to be in a house church today. I think this week is a house church day. If you want to grow in fellowship, some of you uh, have been in house churches or going to a house church and you think to yourself, I don't really feel like I'm connecting in any significant way with this group of people. I'll tell you the, 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 the shortcut, the fastest shortcut that I know towards fellowship. And that is to share honestly and openly about your own need for Jesus in specific terms. 
because it is our dependency that is the basis of our fellowship as believers. We're going to take communion together. We're going to celebrate communion together this morning. Um, I'm going to ask my team and any concerned citizens who are willing to help, if you guys would jump up and just go ahead and start passing the communion trays uh, down the rows. Um, like I said, if you're willing, just jump up and grab one and help pass it out. We'll get, we'll get it in everyone's hands, and then we're going to celebrate uh, our dependence together. short in your section, just raise a hand. We've got some extras. We got everyone? That's great. confess this doesn't fully capture the image when Jesus took the bread he took the bread and he broke the bread and he said this is my body broken for you this is sustenance my body broken divided distributed to all who come hungry you remember that incident where he previously had taken the bread, broke the bread, blessed God and distributed it and it multiplied and multiplied and multiplied to feed the thousands? He says, this is my body broken, sufficient to nourish any who would come. So every time you take bread and break it, do it in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup. In the old covenant, they would have taken the blood and they would have sprinkled it on the people. Which is one of the main reasons I'm glad that we're in the new covenant. 
The writer of Hebrews says that sprinkling was a superficial exterior cleansing, but what is required, what the situation calls for, is an internal transformation through the Spirit of God. And as a way of reminding yourself of that internal reality, I have Christ in me, and as a way of reminding yourself that that is the basis of our fellowship, we all have Christ. This is every time you, you take the cup and drink it. Remember, this is my life given to you. Oh God, we're so thankful for your goodness, for your kindness, for your victory. Thankful that we don't have to languish in defeat, but you call us into a relationship. God, would you give us the capacity, every person here, right now this morning, to say yes to you, to reach to you, to cling to you. We're going to go into a time of worship. Um, there's a couple ways you can respond. We'll have uh, a couple people over here for prayer. If you have anything you would like to, to pray with someone about, uh, utilize that opportunity this morning. This is a good morning to remind you when we have a smaller team that your voices in worship is an encouragement to everyone around you. It's, it's the sound of the body singing that lifts our hearts to the Lord. So you can join us that way. You can give during this time, but let's stand together and worship. As I reflect on Aaron's words, I think there's probably people in here who say, man, my life is nothing like King Solomon's. I have no kingdom. I have no palace. I have no harem of wives, hopefully not. I don't have the wealth that he has, the power that he has. If you're focused on that, you're missing it because the invitation to know him is the important part. And you have that same ability to know him, to walk with him, and to have a life that is actually meaningful with him. It's not about your power or your wealth. Don't miss that. So as you go about your day, do it with him, seeking him first. And that will make your life meaningful. That will make your life great. One that will be remembered in eternity, right? We don't officially end till 1230, so if you want to stick around and help us tear down, it'd be great. If you're interested in helping out with Operation Christmas Child, there are boxes over here you can pick up on your way out. Uh, again, tonight is house church, so connect with your house church leaders. Uh, God bless you. We'll see you next week.